This morning, God's Word comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to begin our reading at verse 2 and then read through verse 7 of this chapter. Isaiah 9, beginning at verse 2, what we hear now is God's Word. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, this morning is the last Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we have for the last several weeks together been talking about Jesus' biography, the facts about who Jesus is. Uh, we looked at the book of Micah, the prophecy there, and saw that his birthplace was at an unlikely place in an unlikely time. We looked at his uh, family tree from the Gospel of Matthew, seeing he was the son of promise, the promises made to Abraham and his descendants. He was the son of redemption, just as Boaz was a redeemer for his people, Christ was the redeemer. He was the son of David, David the fallen, David the sinner. And he was the son of obedience, as Mary and Joseph were obedient to God, so their son, Jesus Christ, would be obedient to his father. And last time we talked about his name, the name that God gave to him, a divinely chosen name, a name that means God saves. Remember, he, children, he was Joshua. He was God saves, the one who came to do exactly what his name means, save his people from their sins. This morning, we're going to talk about the purpose for which he came. And in many ways, uh, this is something of a continuation of uh, last week's sermon. He came to save his people from their sins. But this morning, we look at the prophet Isaiah. The prophets so often use beautiful, picturesque language to describe the truth that they are bringing. 
And this morning we're going to look at this prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 and see here the pictures that he gives us. Yes, it's more than just I have on the outline what he came to do and how he came to do it, but what pictures does the prophet give us to get a greater sense of Jesus Christ, the one who came to save his people from their sins? This morning, Jesus' purpose. Well, what did he come to do, children? We know he came to save his people. We talked about that last week. But Isaiah here gives us four pictures or four images of what that saving his people is like. The first one in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Jesus came to bring light. He came to bring light to those who were in the darkness, those who were walking in darkness, those who were living in darkness. He came to bring light. So many times in Scripture, a light and dark are contrasted as a picture of God's blessing or God's curse. We think of when Israel was taken out of captivity in Egypt, there was this pillar of cloud and fire. And we have that one uh, account where uh, the Egyptians are on one side and the Israelites are on the other side. On the Egyptian side, there was darkness, there was cloud. On Israel's side, there was light, curses and blessings. We think about um, before Israel came out, the plagues that God sent. Now, kids, I bet if I asked you, what were the ten plagues that God sent? I'm pretty sure you could get most of them. And you probably remember the ninth plague when God sent darkness. But it was a particular darkness. It was a discriminating darkness. We read from the book of Exodus in chapter 10 about that plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days for all the people of, but, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Darkness, curse on Egypt, but light for the people of Israel. So many times that contrast. The place of God's blessing is light. The place of his curse is darkness. God himself is light, we know. He reveals that to us in John chapter, 1 John chapter 1. And here we see those who've been living in darkness, walking in darkness, dwelling in darkness, now receiving light. Jesus came to give light to his people. Jesus is called the light of the world. He brings light to the darkness. Now, it, it's, it's very light in church this morning. We have the lights on and, and the lights coming through the windows. But if it was tonight, after the worship service, and it was dark outside, and Mr. Reeker had put all the lights off, and all we had was the candles, even though there was darkness all around, we would still be able to see because there's light from a candle, even when there's darkness all around. Christ comes into the world. There is darkness all around. 
the darkness of sin, the darkness of depravity, the darkness of wickedness, and yet he comes as the light of the world. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Jesus came to give light to his people. He is the light of the world. And in that light, we have life and we have hope. The prophet goes on, verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. Jesus came to give light, and Jesus came to give joy. He came to give joy to his people. The joy of the knowledge of salvation. The joy of the knowledge of what he has done. It is through knowing Christ, through knowing the fact that he came to give light to a dark world, that we rejoice. We rejoice in what he has accomplished. We rejoice in what he came to do and did perfectly. He came to give joy to his people. The prophet says, joy like at the harvest. Remember in Israel, they lived a very agrarian, agricultural life. There were three main feasts during the year that, that surrounded the agricultural year. And at those times of harvest, it was a time to celebrate. It was a time for joy. And when Jesus comes, he gives that kind of celebrating joy. About a month or so ago, we gathered around Thanksgiving tables to have joy in God's blessings to us. God gave us a greater blessing in his son, Jesus Christ. Joy as at the harvest, joy to celebrate the giving, not of simply bread to eat, but the bread of life given for his people. He says, um, joy as at the harvest, they are glad like when they divide the spoils. And here the, this, this picture of joy changes just a little bit, not so much harvest, but dividing the spoils, a picture of victory in battle. Jesus comes as our victor. And there's joy in the victory that is won. And some of us have that. If you, if you like to, uh, to compete in sports, there's a great joy in competing well, in doing your best, in going out and having fun in competition. We take joy in that. Jesus Christ came and he, he secured the victory for us. We are winners in him, if I can put it that casually. In him we find our joy for his battle was a final battle, a defeat of Satan himself. He came to give us light. He came to give us joy. The prophet goes on, verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken. He came to give us freedom. He came to give us freedom. These images of a yoke and a staff and a rod are all pictures of oppression. And Israel knew captivity. Israel knew captivity from years earlier when they were captive in Egypt. Israel, uh, the people of Israel, you remember, were divided into Israel and Judah. The people of Israel, the northern kingdom, is already in captivity to Babylon. And Judah very soon will be taken away. They knew captivity. They knew what that was like. And the prophet comes to you and says, the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, 
has been broken. Freedom, release from captivity. That's what Jesus came to do, to give us freedom. Not, not freedom from a human oppressor, but freedom from the bondage to sin. Freedom from the burden of sin. The psalmist says our sin is like a burden. It's too heavy to bear. It's too much for us. And Jesus comes to take that burden, to give us freedom, to release us from the yoke, from the staff, from the rod, and to give us a new life in Christ. The redemption the salvation he has accomplished, freedom from our sins. You have broken that, 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 that oppression as on the day of Midian. Now, I didn't remember exactly what the day of Midian was. I had to look up what that was, but perhaps you remember the story given to us in Judges chapter 7, where a man named Gideon was to go against the place of Midian. And uh, Gideon was going to go and have battle with them. God says, go up and have battle. And, and, and Gideon masses over 30,000 troops to go into battle. And God says, oh, that's far too many. That's far too many troops to go into battle. And he, he pairs them down. Now there's only 10,000 troops left. And God says, oh, that's still far too many troops to go into battle. And as, as God works with Gideon, finally there's only 300 men left. Sorry, with over 30,000, there's 300 men left. And now God says, go into battle and take with you a trumpet and a torch. And the men of Gideon take with them a trumpet and a torch. And at God's command, they blow the trumpet and they show the torches and they say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the Midianites are so overwhelmed, are so confused, they end up killing each other. Israel doesn't have to raise a sword. The Lord confuses the Midianites and they are defeated. It was a victory from God himself accomplished by God himself. We've been freed. We've been released from our sin. Not because of something we have done, but because Jesus Christ, God's victor, has come and has released us, given us freedom. God has done everything necessary that we might be freed from our sins. He came to give us light. He came to give us joy. He came to give us freedom. And the fourth picture given to us, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He came to give us peace. He came to give us peace from hostility. We're going to pick that up again in just a couple minutes when we talk about how he came to do it. What did he come to do, children? Certainly to save his people from their sins. What's the picture? He gives us light. He gives us joy. He gives us freedom. And he gives us peace. How does he do that? How does he accomplish these gifts of light and joy and all the things he gives us, freedom and peace? He does this by the power of his person. He does this because of who he is. 
He does it by the power of his person. Our text says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. God sends a child. God sends a son. God sends a man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. But he was truly human. By By the power of who he is. He is truly human, and he had to be human to save humanity from their sins. Our God is a just God. Our God is a righteous God. And since humanity had sinned, humanity has to pay for sin. But none of us could do that. God sends a child. God sends a son. And because he was truly human, he could stand in our place to take the punishment that we deserved. Perfectly qualified as this child, as this son, the one on whom the government would be placed upon his shoulder. And we're told that this this, this human, this son, then will be given four names. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And these titles given to him, again, speak of who he was in his person. He would accomplish the work by the power of his person. Who is that person? He is Wonderful Counselor. And, and, and that title, Wonderful Counselor, gives us something of a sense of, of amazement. He is wonderful in counsel. He is amazing in counsel. We think of when Jesus came, they were amazed at his teaching, amazed at the authority he had. Jesus Christ comes to perfectly fulfill the Old Testament promises, to perfectly fulfill God's Word, and He is God's Word. The Word of God incarnate, who comes as that wonderful counselor to perfectly reveal to us God's way of salvation. As we see that it's only in Him that we find our life. He fulfilled the Word because He was the Word. He was wonderful in counsel. He was mighty God. This also speaks to the power of his person. Yes, he was a son, a child, a human, to take the sins of humanity. But he was divine. He was mighty God. That he might, as our catechism says, bear the weight of God's wrath in his humanity by the power of his divinity. Only a God can withstand the wrath of a God. God would have to send himself, his son, Jesus Christ, mighty God, to take that wrath. We heard both this morning in the Advent reading and another in our our, our confession reading about God, Jesus Christ, being a propitiation, one who turns aside God's wrath, one who covers over God's wrath. Only a mighty God can do that. He came as that that mighty God, that powerful Savior, that great victor who would have victory over Satan himself, securing the redemption of his people, turning aside the wrath of God and assuring us of our place with him. He was wonderful counselor. He was mighty God, everlasting Father. This title speaks of the character of who he is. In Scripture, we think of a father as one who is loving We think of God's loving care for us. Jesus Christ, this one, is a loving Savior, a loving victor, a loving warrior. His love for his people 
He would love us so much that he would not spare his own life, but give it up freely for us. His continual love in his care, in his concern shown for those who are his own. In fact, he, he loves us so much. He loves us so much that he is willing to discipline us. He's willing to call us as his brothers and sisters to repentance. He's willing to point out our sins through his holy law. And we are called to recognize this is an expression of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Like a loving father loves his children and disciplines them, so Jesus Christ has a love for his people. And Jesus Christ, king of his church, exercises that discipline through the eldership of the church. The elders are given the task to watch over us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. And when we become negligent, they are given the task to, in Christ's name, discipline us. He was everlasting Father, speaks of the love he has for his people. And then finally, he is Prince of Peace. And here we pick up what we read earlier in verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He is Prince of Peace, and since he comes and makes peace, then the weapons of war, the boots and the garments, aren't necessary anymore. They are gotten rid of because peace has come. Jesus Christ has come and perfectly made peace with God and his people. A restoration of fellowship. No longer at enmity with each other. Uh, he does the battle that we might have the peace a peace that continues to last for us. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. God continues to be at peace with his people. And, and we must not forget, it's a peace that comes, if I can put it this way, it comes from God's side. It's not as if we have decided no longer to be angry with God. He has decided no longer to be angry with us. It is a peace from God's side. Paul speaks about that in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, he says this, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? We were enemies of God. God reconciled us to himself. He removed the enmity. And now we are at peace. God's justice was satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. His anger covered. We are at peace because God is now at peace with us. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. That peace continues to be spread today. It would go beyond Judah. It would go beyond Israel. It would go beyond any ethnic group. It would be a peace for all of God's chosen people. For all who, who bow the knee to Jesus Christ, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, for all who acknowledge him as their Lord, as their Savior. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So once again this morning, that government, that peace in the church continues to grow and expand. God calls you this morning. If you have never embraced Jesus Christ, he calls you today to humble yourself before him, to recognize who he is. He is all these wonderful titles, what he has done, that it is for you by faith in Jesus. Put your trust, put your hope, put your confidence in him. The prophet ends this section, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God himself accomplishes what we could not do. God himself sends his son to do what we are unable to do. What did he come to do, children? He came to save us from our sins. He gives us light. He gives us joy. He gives us freedom. He gives us peace. How does he do that? By the power of who he is. He truly is a man, a human, to pay for humanity's sins. But he is also God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, knowing Jesus' purpose, who he is, what he came to do. We are now ready. We've been preparing for Christmas. We are now ready to truly celebrate the giving of God's Son into the world for his people. He came to save his people from their sins. Oh, we rejoice in what God through Jesus Christ does at Christmas. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the perfection of who he is, truly man and yet truly God. We thank you for the character by which he came to do that work, a God who is powerful, a God who is a victor, a God who is loving, a God who makes peace between you and us. Oh, we thank you, O oh God, for reminding us of these glorious truths in your holy word. Help us to take this word, to embrace this word. Help us to use this word to prepare, to truly celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.